Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. I'm Aaron, and I'm here with Brian. Hey, everybody. How are you? And welcome to episode 19 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. This week, we're going to try and pull together all of the available cloud platforms with the founder and CTO of Instratus, George Reese. Hey, George, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you uh, for having me on here today. George, great to great to have you on today. Uh, we Aaron and I finally got to meet you. We've been obviously following you on Twitter and kind of like everybody. We finally met you live at VMworld. I think you were. I think you told us you were running about uh, thirty six hours straight. You just come back from like yeah. Europe or somewhere like that. So for me personally, I sort of first learned about all the things you do like a year ago. I you know I sent out a tweet and I said, hey, I'm trying to wrap my head around the difference between like kind of traditional way of writing applications and cloud applications. And pretty much everybody came back to me and they're like. You need to go read this book, this you know, cloud application architectures. This guy George Reese wrote this book. It's really good. So I, I sort of learned what you do. I learned the story of Instratus because it's in the beginning of the book. It's a pretty cool story, man. Give us a little bit of background of how you guys went from marketing company to being involved with doing cloud management and all the cool stuff Instratus does. The prototypical story of you know uh, necessity being the mother of invention type thing. Uh, I had started a company in 2003 called Valtera that did marketing software, essentially uh, a CMS content management system aimed at marketers to do point marketing solutions, so things like campaign management, landing pages, that sort of thing. Uh, but the way the system was architected, you had to have your website in our CMS to, to, um, to really leverage its power, which meant that you know every time we were selling our uh, you know five ten thousand uh, dollar software package, we were also having to sell you know a fifty hundred thousand uh, dollar website rewrite, which made it a very difficult sell. So we you know short of it is, is we decided we were going to make it a, a SaaS product and uh, and enable people to go and just do campaign management, just do landing pages, just do blogs, that sort of thing, and you know and sign up via the web and all the fun stuff we've come to expect from SaaS applications. The problem with that was is when we were selling for just software at five to ten thousand dollars a pop, we could afford to tell customers you pay for the infrastructure to support the availability you want. So in addition to the five to ten, if they wanted a baseline, we could stick them in a shared infrastructure. If they wanted something that was going to be five nines, they'd pay for the infrastructure to support that. With a SaaS solution, they expect five nines, but uh, they expect us to have the infrastructure for it. You know, it was going to cost us about hundred, two hundred thousand dollars to build out the infrastructure just to support what essentially was a um, was a proof of concept to see can our product work as a SaaS product. That's when you know, and this is back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. That's when we uh, discovered the Amazon cloud and put that out on Amazon and realized that Amazon wasn't ready to support the things that we needed because our clients were actually enterprise clients. So we ended up building out these this tool set to manage all that. And then uh, and then as we'd go and sell it, uh, sell the Valtera stuff to customers, 
the customers would say, so you're, you're in Amazon, well, how'd you solve this problem? How'd you solve that problem? And we say, well, we got these tools. And, uh, you know, about the third or fourth time, we're like, hey, there's an opportunity here. <laughs> and so uh, by the summer of 2008, uh, we, you know, started selling it as an independent piece of software. Oddly enough, at the time, it was just a command line tool. A lot of, a lot of times people think of us as a portal these days, but the initial release was just command line tools. <laughs> So, just, so you're basically making making money off of uh, forging that path and being one of the pioneers in AWS. That's right. And in 2009, we, we, we split off the company as in Stratus, so they're two separate companies now. I'm no longer involved with Valterra. Um, you know, throughout early 2009, we were pretty much uh, just AWS, and then over time evolved you know, to not only talk to a bunch of different public clouds, but a lot of our business these days is in managing private clouds. So, you know, cloud.com, OpenStack, Eucalyptus, Nimbula, vCloud-based clouds. So I've heard in Stratus be called a cloud management platform, a cloud governance platform, a cloud broker. There's like a new term in the NIST definition. It's a, it's a lot of sort of tags, right? So like how, do you, how do you describe what Instratus does for customers? I mean, what's the, what's, it, what's the real thing that it does? I try, you know, first off, you've, you've got a, a set of people out there who think uh, a virtual data center, you know, if you've got vSphere or, or Zen server running in an environment, you've got a cloud. Uh, so, so the nuances of brokers versus management systems versus platforms is, is a very secondary question to those people. Um, so what I often will do is, is talk about uh, the cloud in terms of, of a cloud computing stack and the bottom layer being virtualization. So things like vSphere, Zen Server, Hyper-V, and so on, uh, KVM. The, and people can relate to that layer. And then I say, but the problem from a cloud perspective is that that layer doesn't give you, people often refer to as locational independence. I often will refer to it as the perception of infinite capacity. And, and, and concretely what that means is as a vSphere user, when you are provisioning a VM, you care about the location of where that VM is going to go and what the overall capacity of your infrastructure is. So you are going into your, your vSphere console and you are saying, I'm going to put provision a VM in this cluster on this host. And because of that, you are intimately aware of, care of, care about all of the things that go with knowing about the location, including if there isn't enough uh, capacity on that one physical host, then you can't launch the VM. Cloud platforms come in and give you that, make something a cloud. They give you that locational independence. They give you the ability to say, give me a VM. I don't care about anything else. I just want a VM with these characteristics. And it magically goes and figures out where in the infrastructure to create that. And thus, you have you know, the perception of infinite capacity and you don't locational independence and in that you don't care where it actually is. And that's what a cloud platform does. We're not that. Uh, we sit one layer above that. Uh, I refer to it as cloud management. You know, once upon a time, I used to refer to it as cloud broker. Um, uh, CSA and uh, NIST obviously refer to that layer as, as a broker. 
I hate getting involved in these uh, terminology discussions because, long story short, I'm a philosophy major and language is <laughs> whatever the hell people uh, intend to mean is what it means. But it was a great Twitter fight the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, whatever you call it, the, the goal of that layer above the platform layer is, I guess, what, what uh, the way I put it in short is that it's its job is to bring order to the chaos that is cloud. Um, a good cloud platform essentially lets anybody, without worrying about, like I said, things like you know actual resource availability and location, you know, provision uh, virtualized resources. The cloud management tool then allows people to do that across, you know, it, it virtualizes the cloud at some level, so it allows them to do it across multiple clouds and lets them do it in a way that aligns with the objectives of business that's supporting that cloud infrastructure. There are two different approaches to cloud management. Uh, most of our competitors have essentially taken the developer-oriented approach where you know you focus heavily on the de- uh, on developer-oriented tasks to rapidly support the deployment of new applications into the cloud. We've taken sort of an operational um, approach to, to management where we focused on governance issues and, um, you know, the, the sorts of controls that IT typically want around moving stuff into the cloud. I guess just to, to sort of try and illustrate, at least uh, uh, verbally illustrate, so, so you're saying... Uh, obviously, so people understand virtualization. That's pretty straightforward, or at least all the underlying infrastructure. Then you've got a layer above that, which is you know the the tools that that are kind of dealing with how do I make sure that infrastructure is highly available or that it's 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 there. It's got enough resources, and and you're really sitting above that, saying um, if you want to deal with more than a single location, this is where it comes into play. If you want to deal with issues about billing and you know do my do my security policies are they consistent across locations it, it's really talking about the stuff that says how do I deal with compliance how do I deal with you know multiple locations which is really about high availability and risk management all those sort of next level things or you know how do I plug in these sort of different developer and those are the things that, that in Stratus is really targeted at is that fair yeah yeah okay. yeah good and, and and let me ask you this so I get slightly confused when it comes to where do, do is there overlap between say you and OpenStack, vCloud, cloud.com, a, a lot of these other names that are out there in history right now. You of course manage all of them, but don't they also have management capabilities to some extent built into their products? Well, they have basic management capabilities uh, for their particular uh, product. So um, and, and it's a, a sort of necessary evil if you don't have you know if you don't have an instratus in the mix then uh, and but you've got a cloud.com cloud obviously you need a user interface for interacting with that and unfortunately that leads people a lot of times to think that instratus uh, or other uh, cloud management tools are interfaces into managing the clouds and that's definitely not what they are the thing is that um, so so that's where the overlap if you if you buy a cloud.com cloud for example you're going to have a user interface that cloud.com has built for managing cloud.com and in some places it has the exact same functionality as Instratus. But you know what Instratus is doing on top of cloud.com is adding you know automate you know most of the um, 
you know, most of the cloud management tools, for example, add automation into the mix. So the ability to do auto scaling, uh, both up and down. You know, the the more advanced tools like Instratus will also support things like uh, automated disaster recovery, uh, cloud bursting. So you know, once you reach a certain capacity inside of your cloud.com private cloud, bursting out to rack space or something like that. You know, the two key things that the management console adds is uh, going to be the, the ability to look across clouds and the ability to look at the infrastructure within your cloud f- more from a perspective of the applications that are deployed in it than from the pure infrastructure elements, the VMs and such. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and so let me ask you this then. If you load Instratus on top of, say, multiple platforms, do you ever need to go use their consoles anymore, or does this does the need for their consoles kind of go away at that point? The, the need for their consoles basically goes away. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, the, there are some exceptions where, you know, there may be a particular function uh, that cloud supports that Instratus doesn't, but that's the exception, and those tend not to... When Instratus is having to make a, a decision, do we support this now, It's is it enterprise functionality? And so... The, the, all, the only scenario that would be, you know, for example, at this time we don't support SQS, so that's going to change in a month anyway. But, uh, you know, so if you're managing SQS, you'd have to go uh, use the Amazon tools to do that uh, today. Uh, but for the most part, you'd be using Instratus because you'd want to have all of the rich in Stratus user permissions and access controls in there. And, and if, you, if you let people go in to use the underlying cloud tools directly, then Instratus isn't able to enforce the access controls. You lose the audit controls. Instratus will, will realize you've made a change, but it'll, it won't realize who did it or why. Whereas if the change is made through either the Instratus console or the Instratus API, we know who made the change and why they did it. Yeah, Aaron, you know, Aaron, I think we're we're starting to move into a, a time where, and this is a weird thing for people that have, you know, lived uh, in the infrastructure or lived in in kind of like operational silos. It was like, here's my tools, here's my boxes, here's my consoles, and now you're seeing more and more kind of overlays of things that sometimes you'll look at it and you'll say, well, that. That takes away, you know, that overlaps functionality that something else did. But in a lot of cases, it's that talks to something through an API that that something below it provide. You know, so right. you know, like in your world, something like UIM, uh, you know, you could say, well, that hides like the Cisco UCS element manager, and it hides the EMC element manager, and it hides the VMware element manager. But it's it's talking to those APIs, and and I think you know whether you're talking about you know. Vsphere, vCenter, vCloud, something on top of that, or you're talking about Instratus sitting on top of things. Really, it's not so much take away the tools, it's saying, if i got to do stuff at broader scale or of complexity, I'm going to do it through APIs. And, and yes, some of those interfaces might, quote-unquote, go away, but you're, you're really abstracting them up a level to, to put them in a bigger picture. It's uh, the concept of uh, one, one console to rule them all, right? 
Sort of. Yeah, sort of. Uh, well, yeah, well, but even even in scenarios where, you know, say our console isn't cutting what you want, we we have an API that you can then roll up in your own custom console. So I think, you know, the typically what happens is, you know, admin users will say will will for example have access to the cloud.com uh, console, but everybody else has access just through the Instratus UI or through the API. Uh, and uh, and day to day, the admins will use the Instratus console for whatever they need to do. But uh, but they always have the ability to fall back if you know for some reason uh, they decide to move away from Instratus or the Instratus console is down, or they just uh, there's some administrative need that requires them to go straight to the Cloud.com console. And and then of course Cloud.com itself is in turn talking, you know, in a VMware context, is talking to the vSphere APIs, which in turn have their own administrative console. And, and, you know. It's inception for APIs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're talking APIs, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, when Instratus is actually talking to all of the different vendor APIs, do you, as a, a tendency, because you guys do support such a broad portfolio, do you code to each individual API or do you kind of choose a least common denominator that all of them kind of provide this same API functionality and you can reuse code or tell me a little bit about that. So that is actually a funny story around that. So I, um, you know, started writing the Instratus tools I'd mentioned late 2007, early 2008 in that time frame. Uh, and, and when I was writing out these tools, and it obviously wasn't called Instratus at the time, the primary thing that I was thinking is, well, um, you know, if this stuff that we're doing for Valtera succeeds, probably two years from now, there's no way in hell that a bookseller is going to be our uh, cloud provider. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I uh, wrote all of the code to go through an abstraction layer. Uh, and, um, you know, and I have a lot of experience doing, you know, uh, these abstraction layer APIs for different uh, uses. Um, but in this case, you know, the, the, the well, and, and the big concern always with an abstraction layer is this idea of least common denominator. And the reality is there, you know, there, there are three different ways you can model talking to a cloud. And, and one is to take the least common denominator approach. And if you do that, you model the things that are common across all of the players and uh, and you only get the things that are common across multiple, most of the players. That um, I think is a terrible approach for cloud because for a variety of reasons, uh, and uh, that is absolutely not the approach that I took with my abstraction layer. The second is is that you can model the problem that you have at hand. So model AWS, for example, and uh, then uh, try to make everything else look like it. Um, that has both pros and cons to it. Uh, it's the direction I opted not to go in, however. The, one, the direction I ended up going in is actually uh, creating an abstract model of cloud computing, how I thought cloud computing, um, you know, these virtual resources should be modeled and then mapping AWS onto that and the other cloud, you know, ultimately the other cloud providers. And uh, differences then get exposed through metadata that the interfaces expose. So, 
you know, in Stratus, ultimately, this has no logic that says if Amazon this, if Rackspace that, if uh, Eucalyptus the other thing. Uh, instead, it uh, it does things like it says, does this cloud have load balancers without caring what cloud it actually is? And if so, it'll present a load balancer screen and, you know, and then the proper elements of what makes up load balancers in that cloud are exposed through metadata. And that way in Stratus, uh, you know, is completely ignorant of uh, the individual clouds, actually, and we're not subject to least common denominator syndrome. I want to I want to shift gears a little bit if this is if this is okay with you. You know, I mentioned early on, you know, one of the kind of the early ways I got exposed to what you do was was the the book you wrote which kind of leveraged Amazon as the as the framework, right? It wasn't sort of Amazon's the only way to do the cloud, but this is a kind of a well-defined model. The Amazon guys obviously have gone through some hiccups this year. They had a couple of outages. You know, there were people who were, you know, oh my gosh, you know, public clouds bad. Uh, you kind of came out and said you know, if if you did it right, um, you know, the, the all the value and the virtues of, of say public cloud or Amazon or whatever really shone through. So you know, you had uh, you had Netflix that stayed up and ran. Uh, you know, Adrian and those guys, you know, talk about what they do. You had other kind of high profile things that were down. There was this debate about well, okay. For the guys that were down, do they know what they're doing? Do they not know what they're doing? If, if you were to put, you know, sort of take away the AWS piece of it, if you said, look, how complicated is it to run a, an application, a highly available application in something like Amazon, right, or a public cloud infrastructure where you only see parts of it versus, you know, dealing with HA and DR and all the other stuff you do, say, in a private environment, how how much more complicated? How f- less complicated is, is it? Is it a totally different mindset? What's the what's the real difference there? Um, you know, there there are two approaches to, to to handling high availability. One is to let the infrastructure handle it. Uh, you know, and so you know, a typical simple way of doing it would be you know to have your uh, vSphere cluster fully redundant you know let's forget multiple regions and data centers and stuff but just within a single data center so have that you know that configured have vSphere your VMs set up as HAVMs and, and and then your applications don't care anything about that they just assume they're always up and because it, uh, the combination of vSphere and redundant hardware are taking a, taking care of your availability needs you're you know you're all set uh, the other approach is to um, assume that you're running on crummy or commodity hardware uh, that things are going to fail and build in intelligence in the application layer that uh, enables you to survive the, the failure of, of the underlying you know, infrastructure. That's called design for failure. And the reality is, is that the two models aren't any different for the most part if you are following best practices for, for software development. I mean, it's simple things like don't keep state in your application, um, make sure that the system, you know, if the software can be load balanced, in m- most cases it's uh, 90% of the way to design for failure. Uh, may, you know, it turns out that's a, a lot harder than it sounds. Uh, yeah, mostly. I was, I was going to ask that because, you know, 
you would assume so if we were talking about um, you know Bob's garage or you know somebody who's running a website for their you know their kids soccer tournament like I would you know I, I don't expect them to have any hardcore sort of development skills but you know like the dudes from Reddit are the same guys that are hanging out in San Francisco as the guys from a, from a, uh, from like Netflix is it is it just you know the, the more you dig into it the more you figure it out or is that is that really a hard thing I think that's where you're going, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, the, how one guy, you know, one group of people that should be really good got it and others didn't. You know, to be fair here, uh, first off, this was a scenario that a lot of people thought couldn't happen. Okay. Um, and, and that's because, because of the way Amazon worded their descriptions of regions. You know, the, the idea that an entire region could go down was not something that a lot of people considered as, as possible. Um, so you could have designed for failure, but if you only had redundant VMs set up across the availability zones within that region, it you know the entire region went down, so you were not helped by, uh, by all the work you had done. Okay, so it's a little bit of a black swan, I guess. If yeah, but you know the, the the bigger picture is is that you know it's not as simple as designing the software that way. You also you know have to have redundant virtual machines running across. You know you, you have to avoid single points of failure because no matter how you design your application, if there's a single point of failure and that single point of failure goes, you're toast. And that's true whether you're doing design for failure, you're des- you know you're, de- you're leveraging the infrastructure. And the example I use, if I lost my one data center, then all of the work that VMware and my redundant hardware and uh, and network connectivity has done is, is worthless. Um, and, and so the c- scenario we encountered in uh, April was that an entire region went down, and so even people like Reddit who had done a good job with their application architecture weren't prepared for that particular scenario. The other thing I'd add to that is that, you know, and so the the way they would have dealt with that would have been to have had redundancy in other Amazon regions, but that costs money, and and there are a number of people out there who said a a region-wide outage is an acceptable risk for and you know, and, and a good example of that is the the public in Stratus.com website, not our not our SaaS product, but just the marketing website. Right. Uh, it turns out my dis- thinking on this was wrong, but we had ahead of time determined that if if the enti- if an entire Amazon region goes down, then it's okay for the www site to be down because all it is is marketing fluff. Turns out when the entire region goes down in Amazon, it's a good marketing opportunity for Instratus. So that probably wasn't the best thinking. But, uh, but, but the point being is that you, know, you, you assess your risks ahead of time, and you may decide that that level of redundancy isn't worth the cost. And I'll accept the fact that in its entire history, you know, Amazon's had two incidents in which an entire region has become unavailable. I, I can live with that, um, that, that risk and that associated down time or you may not which means you need to have regional redundancy right okay so makes sense, I, makes sense. yeah so i mean if so let me let me bring this back to instratus then so whether or not people totally understand how to design for that or whether you understand exactly how your cloud providers there are, are there some things in in the instratus platform that 
are going to help you with those transitions from being a, a sort of a novice in, in this new way of, of dealing with applications in the cloud to, to being more of an expert in it? Uh, yeah, you know, um, th- there are two ways to approach this design for failure. One is to deploy your applications in a platform-as-a-service environment, so something like a Google App Engine or a Microsoft Azure or a Cloud Foundry, or you can, uh, the, the problem is you give up a lot of control when you go the pass route, or you can uh, build your applications you know, in a, in a design for failure mode and then leverage a tool like an Instratus to handle all of the, I hate to bring in this word, but orchestration of um, making sure that the application itself survives. So if you if you have VMs go down, and Stratus comes in, discovers that the VMs have gone down, brings them brings up replacements. Um, you know, it's actually, you know, being, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that being highly available is only really a special case of auto scaling. So if you're concerned about auto scaling, chances are you've got design for failure aspects uh, built into your application because you need, uh, the, the only difference between auto scaling and auto recovery is that auto recovery is launching VM because something failed and auto scaling because you're out of capacity. So let me turn it back around uh, again more around Instratus specifically. Who do you find typically is the customer of a platform like Instratus? Is it, is it the IT? Is it lines of business? Who, who typically is, generates that initial interest in the Instratus platform? So, you know, Instratus is probably, you know, asking me and Instratus is probably a skewed data set because of who our target market is. But in our case, um, it's going to be IT and the systems administrators oftentimes, or it's going to be developers who know that IT is going to end up bring it, breathing down their neck very shortly. Our, our competitors tend to be more, go more direct to the developers, so they have less IT involvement in the decision making and more developer. The end of uh, end users in the business tend to be the catalysts that make cloud happen, but they're not the ones who, who are actually uh, deciding on their management suite. Uh, and that's because, you know, the typical Instratus private cloud use case is that IT has realized that half the business unit has gone rogue and put stuff in Amazon or another cloud. And uh, what they're trying to do, you know, in the business units will accept, uh, rein them back into the environment by providing them tools that IT can trust that they're using the cloud appropriately, but the business unit will still feel that it's all very cloudy to them. And that's, you know, essentially where Instratus comes into play. So we end up bridging the rogue public cloud elements with the accepted private cloud in a single user interface. Very cool. Okay. If I'm if I'm a potentially new cloud customer, if I will, right, and I've got these all these choices out here, and there's all this information of public, of private, of hybrid. What are usually my my decision points of going with public, with private, with hybrid, with private and public as my DR site? And and is this more of business case? Is this more technology? What are the deciding factors around the various aspects of it? Um, Well, you know, my, this is, you know, going to be a fairly controversial thought, but my belief is that your default position 
should be to deploy in a public cloud unless you can prove the need for a private cloud. You know, before listeners start calling me a shill, I don't. I, I, in Stratus, <laughs> yeah. in Stratus doesn't care whether you're doing private or public cloud. Well, we're happy to manage either one. Um, but the reason is is that uh, you get the most benefits of cloud when you're in a public cloud infrastructure because there are aspects of private cloud that aren't really cloudy and part of it is is being responsible for the somebody in your organization having to own and be responsible for the physical resources you know and and a good discussion on that is uh, you can find it out uh, on the web just it's the Simon Wardley presentation called Why It Matters, uh, but it, it's a great uh, great piece on, you know, the impact of public cloud and commodity computing. So he probably wouldn't phrase it that way. Uh, but, it, but at any rate, um, in the, but so you'd use that as a default positioning and then look at your the requirements of the component of the things that you're deploying and prove that you need to be in the private cloud. And reasons that you need to be in a private cloud you know, start with compliance. There are certain compliance objectives that simply can't be met. In some cases, any, but those are the exceptions. But, you know, it's certainly in some clouds. So if your public cloud is Amazon, there are going to be certain compliance objectives you can't meet in Amazon uh, today. And you will, then, then the question becomes, can I divide up my application infrastructure so that some of it can be in the public cloud? and some can be in the private cloud. In some cases, splitting up your architecture like that isn't worth the trouble because it obviously adds complexity to the system. But if it is, you know, if, if it is ends up being worth the trouble, it also adds flexibility to your infrastructure and reduces your costs and your ongoing maintenance and stuff. Compliance ends up being the number one reason why people have to say stay in the private cloud, uh, the, you know, a far distant one is just uh, ends up being uh, emotion. Uh, well, it, people emotion causes a lot of people to stay in the private cloud. It, it's rarely a good reason. Security is, um, for the most part, a nonsense reason why people go private cloud. But it is a strong motivator, uh, nevertheless. Well, it's an it's an interesting you know it's an interesting sort of contrast. Typically, um, you know, a business a business would sort of say at least from like a people or a skills or a process perspective, they tend to say, "I'll figure it out in house. I'll develop skills for my people, whether it's you know marketing skill or a." Uh, you know, an engineering skill or something that they drive intellectual property around. You know, the interesting thing about about public cloud is it, it allows you to say, hey, if I have an idea, if I have a really interesting idea and I want to go experiment with it, which is really what I think you're sort of saying in, in a little bit different words is, I can go experiment at a far lower cost and then potentially figure out like, okay, did that make any sense? Did it work? Do I need to own that? Hence, maybe bring it back in house, or did we figure out, you know, through this experimentation that it really makes sense to be out, sort of in the out in the public domain, which is a little bit of the reverse of what somebody might say if they were looking at like, how do I outsource a, a people function, a call center, uh, you know, or whatever. But it's 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 not a radical business idea. It's just uh, the economics of what sort of public cloud provides for you, which is like you can take an idea, go figure out if it makes sense, and then you can, like you said, come back and figure out the the economics of it and say, you know, what are the costs of, of it being out there? Is it is it a cost of compliance? Is it a cost of owning the infrastructure? Is it a, you know, a cost of, like you said, fear of, um, you know, it might get hacked and it goes down and we've got a PR problem. But it's a, it's a, it's just a different way of looking at 
you know, sort of business problems. It's a resourcing problem for the business, right? Yeah, the question really is, and you're, you're really getting at, at, at what it really about is, is what's the most cost-effective way to solve these business requirements? And, uh, you know, and, and in the end, if uh, either answer is perfectly valid as long as it's the uh, cheapest way to solve the business requirements. Problem is, is, a lot of time, a lot of junk gets into those uh, calculations, false security requirements, nonsense ROI calculations on the public cloud, and you know, then it all gets quite cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> so, George, let me ask you this: so, there's a traditional enterprise organization that's out there today, and they are evaluating these different cloud platforms of public versus private. And, and an existing IT group is just very hesitant because of a lack of knowledge or lack of expertise and skills in public cloud. Does Instratus, with it, with its abstraction layer, really help with that transition? Yeah, mostly because not so much the abstraction layer, but uh, I mean the abstraction layer helps in the sense that people feel that they can make the wrong decision today and correct it later. But I think the the big thing that um, that Instratus gives is the the confidence that um, I can you know I as IT can give up all of this control that the business wants me to give up, but I, I can still retain control over the things that matter in IT. Uh, yeah, Chris Hoff uh, used the phrase with me once. Uh, gracefully give up control uh, and I really like that phrase uh, because that's what IT needs to do um, and that way they don't you know they, they keep control over compliance they know that people aren't going to be doing non-compliant things but at the same time they're not imposing a six-month uh, provisioning pe- or, or procurement process on VMs <laughs> and that's well, ultimately what I what the business wants to get away from is these absurd procurement times for for valid business needs when the business, rightly or wrongly, has a perception that IT does not have the business interests at heart. Very cool. I would, I would, I would definitely agree. It's, uh, it's an interesting changing time. It's a, it's a bit of technology. It's a, it's a lot of sort of potentially people changes. Um, you know, Aaron, we've, we've talked George's ear off or we've, we've, we've let him go on about where Instratus really plays in a nice layout of, of the different sort of layers within this stack that's going to make it all work. We've talked about, you know, what goes on in the public clouds and how people need to, to think about them a little bit differently, whether it's an economic resource or a development resource. Why don't we wrap this up? Uh, George has got a company to run, so let's let him get back to doing that. Um, George, you're you're kind of prolific, you know, above and beyond running the company, writing books um, on Twitter, talking at things. Where can people find you? What's uh, what's what's coming out next from you? Where are they going to where are they going to see you at events? And well, I'll be I'll be speaking on design for failure at Interop uh, at uh, well at the beginning of October. Um, I'm also doing a similar talk uh, uh, at the end of this month at the Cloud Connect virtual conference. That's September 29th. Interop is uh, the week of October 3rd, and uh, and I'm sure other things after that. Although I don't seem to think that part of me. Uh, and you know, I'm on Twitter. Uh, pretty easy, George Reese with an S. Well, Aaron, uh, you want to take us home? This has been uh, this has been a good show. You want to take us home? Absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or reach us at thecloudcast.net where you'll find links to the show and show notes. You can leave us a comment or send us an email and details on how to stream us on Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.